Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. Brad Hay is a world-class senior level three para yoga and meditation teacher. One of only six in the world and the only para yoga certified teacher in Australia. With a professional teaching career stretching well over 20 years, he's renowned for his laid-back, down-to-earth attitude as he manages to make yoga's ancient and mystical traditions feel light, accessible, and easy to understand in the modern lifestyle. Brad offers a unique blend of both extensive tantric, hatha yoga knowledge, and Ayurveda to give depth and effective guidance for the modern yoga practitioner. He is a teacher's teacher and leads trainings and intensives in Australia and internationally that combine these ancient systems, making them accessible and practical without diluting the traditional teachings. Always a seeker, Brad began teaching Hatha Yoga in 1999 and in 2003 completed the Yoga Arts world-renowned nine-month full-time training. In 2007, Brad met his current mentor of 14 years, master teacher Yoga Rupa Rod Stryker, the founder of Para Yoga, and one of the world's leading authorities of the Tantra yoga tradition. Rod has officially initiated Brad into the 6,000-year-old lineage of Sri Vidya. Additionally, Brad is a nationally certified Ayurvedic practitioner, and he leads Tantra yoga and Ayurveda workshops, intensives, and retreats around the world. And after 18 years in the US, Brad relocated with his family back to his home country here in Australia, where he is joining us today. So welcome, Brad. I'm incredibly honored to have you on the podcast. Awesome. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. I very lightly mentioned, of course, some pivotal elements of your path uh, in introducing you. However, would you share with us your story personally, professionally, how you've arrived here to this moment, considering, you know, who you are now and the work that you're doing in the world? Yeah. Yeah, wow, it's such a it's such a big question, and and um, <clears throat> I've gone through this one a bit this last couple of years, and I guess I start pretty early. I mean, it could end up being a really long story, but I'll try and do a, the, the quick wrap because it's such a jam packed full sort of um, <laughs> however many years that's been. So where did I start? Really, you know, I think generally I start these uh, answering this question with as a as a child, as a young child, being a sensitive kid. And um, being really interested in the mind and, and how the mind operated and how I operated and what everything, what was happening in the world and what were these energies, what were these things I was experiencing and, and feeling, which I had sort of intense feelings as a kid, you know, the intensity of feelings and emotions. And, and um, I used to be quite introspective and introverted in, in a lot of ways. So it, it left me sort of seeking some answers as to what was happening in the mind. And I had quite an interest in death at a young age, as you know, kids do. But um, I remember it pretty specifically starting pretty young and I, I used to just question it a lot. And, and I was sort of interested in what we were other than the physical body. So it was there. I, had, I didn't get you know, too many amazing answers earlier on, but nevertheless, I was definitely looking for them. And then, you know, so I had this hypersensitivity. I, I um, learned to manage in some ways, just learned to cope with and other ways learned to manage. But I'd say there was more coping going on as a child and, 
And um, you just sort of learn the ways from those around you, your parents and your peers and, you, you know, my, my older brother at that point and start piecing things together and, and trying to make life work, you know, the best you can with what you have. So, so I did that. I sort of grew up, I think, as a, you know, pretty regular kid in school and, and, um, and uh, as, as sort of I got into my teens, I feel like I was a pretty quiet, well-behaved kid. I think that was one of my mechanisms actually was to be the perfect child so I didn't end up in trouble like my brother. That was sort of one of the earlier things that I can go back to and go, well, if I'm just the perfect kid, then I won't, there won't be any of this, uh, this imbalance or any of this sort of harsh energies in the family. So I'll just be as perfect as I can. Um, but in while doing that, I think I was suppressing a lot of, uh, a lot of desires and emotions and lots of things like that. So, so within that, you know, that old coping mechanism, which we could call a, a you know, a vikalpa or a samskara or something like that in yogic terminology. Um, I think that led me to, you know, ultimately starting to act out in my later teens. In fact, I went to a Catholic college in year nine. I went from a technical college which is kind of rough, you know, sort of trade orientated kids and stuff like that where I was A's and B's and I wanted to be in a ski team. So I went to this Catholic college in year nine and, uh, and I wasn't Catholic or anything. I just wanted to go because I had a ski team and it was a little bit more academic. Uh, but what that did was squeeze the, the, the discipline and the, I don't know if it was so much a discipline because I had that, but the, um, the pressure of the religion sort of squeezed me into a, or squeezed these sort of aggressive <laughs> behaviors out of me. So I think that pushed me into a place where I started acting out as a teen. You know, I kind of switched around a little bit and started partying and doing some silly things. And, and, uh, and I started feeling, I, I felt like all of these suppressed, uh, you know, so, uh, events and things I went to as it through, as a kid started coming out. Hmm. Um, so how can I speed the story up? So, so teens, you know, I went through that, like most regular teens, sports and parties and girls and, and all that sort of thing. And there was a, there was a component of spirituality that I was really interested in, but it came in the form of martial arts. And, um, that started really young, actually, I could probably go back a few years and, and, um, around 11 years of age, I started practicing martial arts and I was pretty obsessed, you know, I was watching a lot of movies and studying these great masters and how they controlled their minds and how they could control their bodies and minds and be wise and calm. And all of these things were really attractive to me. So that was there from an early age. So I trained for many years, but then got into my teens and started acting out and a little bit, you know, I wasn't ever a bad kid. I more just got on a self-destructive path more than anything. And, um, you know, just to speed up the story, I guess through earlier twenties, um sort of some wild lifestyles lots of drugs and alcohol and it sort of started off pretty innocent partying and the surf image and all that sort of thing but it got progressively worse and more serious and more lifestyle orientated i think through my earlier mid-20s and i traveled around the world on my own and got up to a lot of mischief over there overseas and and, <laughs> and came back and i was wearing thin you know my lifestyle was getting pretty rough and dark and my attitude was was really declining and, and the way I was seeing the world was was getting pretty negative. So, um, you know, without going into the details of what happened, there was a pretty intense few years where, um, boy, you know, it was almost, it was almost down to, you know, life-threatening situations of, of health for one thing, but there was certainly groups of people and, and situations I was hanging out in that were, pretty dark and pretty intense, you know, and there was people dying around me and 
um, pretty intense situations and people being shot, you know, like almost gangster stuff, which is kind of silly to think back and go, wow, was that me in that whole realm? But it was, you know, and it's pretty cool to reflect on it. So, you know, without the details, I really got into a point where it was getting down to needing to really make some significant changes. And I was getting a lot of messages. I was very blessed with angels or guides or, or whatever we want to look at them as because I've had so many in that period of time, especially there was, you know, four or five major events that should have wiped me out without, without doubt, you know, a car accident and a couple of other pretty intense things. And um, by about the fourth or fifth big sign, big neon sign from, you know, consciousness or whatever, I actually woke up and said, okay, I need to, I need to shift. I need to shift my everything. <laughs> Basically this life is not going to continue uh, or I'm going to die or someone else. Everyone's going to die. Um, so it was that point I really surrendered, you know, and uh, I was using a lot of drugs at that point in time. And uh, I was quite, um, I was quite ingrained into that lifestyle, but I really wanted to, I really wanted to change. So I, I surrendered and, um, when I did that, really the help and support that, that showed up was pretty miraculous, you know. It was like I could probably go into the little details of different stories about the phone call at that moment and that person being there at that time led me to where I am now. So that's kind of when the turnaround started, you know. And I went into a really in-depth um, rehabilitation program. At that stage, it was spiritually based, a lot of yoga and meditation in there. A lot of, you know, the 12-step program was also a big part of that. But that was the turning point. That was about 20-something years ago. And um, <clears throat> that was the turning point to really shifting my lifestyle into a direction that was more like it is now. You know, it took quite a few years to, to shake off the old habits and patterns and things like that. But I progressively did it. And, and at that time, yoga landed in my lap. You know, I was, I'd already been practicing these sort of deep practices of deep stretching and deep breathing and focusing the mind and meditation through martial arts. But around that time um, is when it turned into the yoga tradition. And I met my first sort of private teachers around that time. I had a couple of, they were a couple, a man and a woman that took me under their wing at that point and taught me some of the deeper teachings and set me off on a path. And, you know, it wasn't long after, as you mentioned in the, um, the lovely long intro there, that um, I wanted to learn more officially. So I, I checked myself into the most intense program I could find, you know, as, as the way I like to do things, the most intense I could do them. And, um, and that's really, you know, that's really when it set off. I started teaching privates and so forth in 99 and a few classes, but it wasn't until around about 2003 after this program, I started teaching a lot more and, and um, that sort of set me off on this path, you know, that got me into Ayurveda about then, this was 2003 and uh, I never looked back, you know, I just went full on into it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting telling these stories, I either want to say it really short or I don't want to leave out any details. So I'll do the mid-range, that's sort of the mid-range. <laughs> That's, you know, that's still nearly 17 years ago. So there's a lot to fill in there, but I'll leave Of that course, story. of course. You know, <laughs> so selfishly, uh, I'll give you a little context here. Um, mm. So I did my level two yoga teacher training with Yoga Arts, so with Louisa Sear. Uh, oh, nice. I think that was in 2013. And, you know, um, that was a six-week intensive and, you know, we did a week of silence and it was magnificent and Rose Bowden was on the faculty. So with her mm -hmm. close relationship with Dr. Robert Svoboda, the Ayurvedic um, element of the training was so rich and I really appreciated that because yeah. that's when I, around the time I started to do my training in Ayurveda, my formal training. So with that in mind, why did, like, you know, 
a nine-month intensive full-time yoga teacher training is just not really the norm. And I'm sure it was probably mm-hmm. quite rare in the, you know back then as well. But what I'm so curious to know what that was like, what that looked like, what that <laughs> felt like. You know, because that sounds pretty uh, yeah. pretty yeah. deep and transformational. Yeah, yeah. I'm just laughing because there's flooding memories from that year come back. And it's a, it's an all sorts, that's for sure. Um, you know, I don't like to do things half-hearted, so I did seek out the most intensive training I could find. It just so happened it was here in Byron Bay, which was incredible. Um, wow, what was that like? Well, you know, life-changing in so many ways. To go on such an intense, just to practice that intensely for that amount of time is, is incredible. You know, most of the time you sort of, it's a scattered sort of practice schedule and once a week, twice a week, whatever. This was sort of just dump, jumping in the deep end and it was, you know, we'd start at 5.45 every day and with Rose, you know, the same teachers and some different teachers back then, but um, Rose was definitely one of my headliners. And, uh, and, and we're into it, you know, meditate 45 minutes of pranayama, 45 minutes of meditation in the morning, then you'd get out and do your Ashtanga practice or, or an Iyengar-based practice or whatever it was, was the main thing then. It was amazing. There was 36 people in this group from all around the world. And, you know, at first it was just sort of feeling into each other and, you know, do you, do you eat meat? I don't you know. All this sort of weird stuff was going on. I didn't care because I'd sort of come from a, a pretty, you know, real background. So I wasn't hiding or trying to be anything I wasn't. But, uh, but there was some sort of adjustment initially. But uh, And I think a lot of people had the expectations like nine months training, I'm going to come out ripped, I'm going to be hot, I'm going to travel the world and teach <laughs> professional make tons of money and by three months in people are having relationships people are breaking down it's tears everywhere people are flipping out and having arguments with teeth you know it was classic it was just like this ingrained sort of intertwined truly intensive. truly intensive which which i really believe is so powerful in so many levels i mean sure you can go in and just learn the yoga textbook things and learn everything from the book and learn all the principles and practices and that's amazing but until you actually start putting into life situations, it's just basically principles. So mm. having this group of 36 people that were really close, knit and so much time together, um, really sped up the process. So it was quite incredible. But very close with a lot of people, you know, and those relationships happening within the group and, you know, admittedly. Sounds like a bit of a, a purification. Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was all sorts of things. <laughs> But all in all, it was incredible, unbelievable. We became so close and we became such a force in this town, this group of trainees from yoga, you know, the nine-month training. There was kind of some some uh, status around, you know, we're doing the nine-month yeah, training. Yeah. So that, that was all a big funny thing. Um, <clears throat> but incredible, you know, and at the end of that, it was sort of I was living here, so the, the group dispersed. It was quite a process to detach from such an incredible experience of like-minded people doing these incredible practices, having these, you know, really in-depth experiences. Uh, and then for most people to disperse away from the world and to be here yes, left with myself and these teachings and, um, you know. That transitional phase. Um, but, uh, yeah, transitional phase. So it was, I hung out here for another eight months and then I set off overseas and I, I moved to back to the U.S. I'd been living in the U.S. a couple of years before that and then uh, I went back on another big journey and, um, yeah, things sort of hit next level and I went back and was teaching full time and uh, not full time, but full on and, and um, it really set off on a new level. So it was, it was incredible, like the, the caliber of the, of the teachers and, 
and everything that came together in that training was was unreal. You know, like you say, Rose and, and connection with Robbie's Svoboda. I was really intrigued with Robbie's work. You know, having the left-handed tantric thing was such intriguing. Yes. To me, being, you know, half in the dark and half in the light world. So I was very attracted to his teachings and Rose. And, um, yeah, so you've experienced that. So that was, you know, an incredible, incredible sort of second foundational set of teachings. Mm. And And... and- it's, it's quite rare really to get that kind of depth these days as well. Like it obviously exists and, I, and I'm sure mm. with your experience, particularly through Para Yoga, there's so much richness there in, you know, what Rod has been putting out into the world and what you've continued to share through that. Um, and, you know, even coming off the back of a standard teacher training these days, which is obviously far more condensed and short, uh, there's still that intensity of the transition back into you know, how do, how do I translate this into my teachings and everyday life and how do I just get back into normal, my normal rhythm with this integration <laughs> of all this new wisdom and this depth and this experience. But um, yeah. so as you, you know, as you've reflected upon your path to some degree here, is can you mm-hmm. think of a significant book that landed in your lap that really maybe shaped you or, yeah, threw you on a specific trajectory? It may or may not be yoga related, of course, but anything that stands out for you? Yeah, well, it is going to be yoga related because I'm not much of a reader outside of yoga. So, you know, since primary school, I probably haven't read too many books <laughs> other than yoga or tantra or Ayurveda books. You know, honestly, one of the, uh, there's two that stand out pretty dramatically. And the first one is um, At the Left Hand of God from Robbie Svoboda, you know, one of the Agori series, the first one of the Agori series. Uh, you know, the, the just the magic that Robbie brings to it and his sort of traditional, well, his experience of the left-handed path, which is, you know, as I said, has been an interest of mine. It's not something I'm, I'm going to do in practice, especially not as a married man with a child. It's not sort of, but the intrigue of the potency of the way that they approach practice really got me, you know, that intensity. Mm. I was attracted to that. I still am, you know, and in, in a sense, I, I still have that approach, but in a different way. So that's definitely one. And, um, and just the way Robbie writes, it's not sort of as linear and as systematized as maybe Rod and, and, and a lot of modern Western teachers, which is incredible, but it just had a different element of magic and bringing to life this, this really astro-spiritual realm. It's probably, it's probably a reflection of his mentor, like Vimalananda. And because it's exactly. funny, it's, it's <laughs> maybe a crazy synchronicity or not, but that is literally the book I've just finished reading. So book one. <laughs> I've just finished reading book one. Yeah. It's a long time ago. I actually don't remember a lot of it yet. <laughs> it's been on my shelf for years and I finally yeah, wow. this year was like, I gotta get into this trilogy, you know? So and yeah, because he's because he's writing, of course, but it's about like all the juice from Vimalananda. You know, exactly, of course it's yeah. it's anyway, <sighs> yes, I can totally relate. But anyhow, go ahead, yeah, second cool. book. Oh boy, just a classic, you know, a classic one. It's one of the readings in, in one of my trainings now. It's 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 one of David Frawley's um, Yoga and Ayurveda, Path yes. of Self-Realization. I can't remember the actual other part of it. It's just simply Yoga and Ayurveda yep. where he integrates, you know, it was just such a perfect integration of, you know, Yoga, Ayurveda and Tantra, which is this, the three rivers, the three sacred streams or, or whatever we like to call it in this system. It was really just a great, an incredible expression of how this is one system. This is these are not different systems. This is one system, and we're just looking at these different aspects of it. So that book just had such the nuts and bolts of um, a little bit of Sankhya philosophy, which has become such a hub of my teachings these days. I give it so much emphasis, 
and then mapping out, just tying together all these little bits and pieces that you learn, you know, the gunas and the values and the this and the three and the subtle bodies and the causal body and then, and then the koshas. And you learn all these bits and pieces, but not many people put them together so well so that you can understand the whole picture. And, um, and I've been exploring, you know, different um, aspects for, for a good while. And that was one of my focuses, like, how can I put this, how can I save people, students, and myself, how can I understand this first myself in a way that I can see all these parts and have them fit somewhere? Um, and then how can I relay that to students? So that, the, the book is kind of, excuse me, um, uh, depicts all of those different elements into, into one sort of place and ties yeah. them together really well. So there are two, I'd say. There are two. I mean, I've got a whole, I was going to put my camera at the, my bookshelf because I'm, I'm pretty impressed with my little library out there. But um, there's so many books, you know, there's so many, but they are a couple of standouts. Yes. I'd agree. I'd agree with you. And, you know, we've, I've mentioned Dr. David Frawley's come up on the podcast many times and I think he's written so many excellent books and just such a wealth of knowledge that are really accessible for, you know, as a, even as an entry level despite being so rich, you know. So, um, but, hey, since you've sort of mentioned it, let's talk a little mm. bit about the integration of yoga and Ayurveda because I know that you obviously teach, you know, Tantra Katha Yoga. You've got obviously your teacher trainings, but you – which is this is quite rare you really offer a specialized training in yoga and ayurveda and mm. it's so incredibly important and this is something that has been really close to my heart for a long time so i would love for you to speak to you know why is this so important like what do we need to know like for the people listening going to yoga classes lots of different teachers and so many teachers are not teaching with that foundational understanding um that they yeah. can literally translate through into a yoga class of ayurveda so would you mind speaking mm -hmm. to that value a little bit why it's so important yeah i'll do my best to do that in uh, a short time um, you know, really, um, let me, let me see how I can put it in short words. I think the, the first thing I'll start with is looking at the difference between, I think this is something people get a little tangled with Ayurveda, the difference between Ayurveda as life principles and Ayurvedic medicine, where they use these life principles of the Ayurvedic, the, the science of life itself and everything in it, and then put it into a medical science. Mm. So there is the principles of Ayurveda that just apply to everything on the planet, everything, day, night, hot, cold, all of these elements and all of these um, attributes that we have on the planet. These are the principles of Ayurveda. And then there's this science where they, use, they just use these principles in a medical science. So it's good to distinguish the difference because what I do is uh, we use a bit of both of these, but mostly what I teach is these principles of Ayurveda, which is the principles of nature. So it's about understanding... Um, just the most basic elemental properties of, of life, you know, the five elements is what everything's based off, how, um, how our bodies are made of these five elements, how everything in the universe is made of these five elements and the qualities of these elements. This is the base science of Hatha Yoga. It's the base science of everything. It's the base science of how we eat. It's the base science of herbology. It's the base science of astrology. It's just the base principles of everything in life. So I, I don't know how we can do anything without at least having a very basic understanding of it. The more I studied it, the more I was like, this is, if I, were to, if I was to label a university degree on it, it would be called common sense. It would be called universal common sense would be another way of saying Ayurveda in my eyes. So to me, it's the base, 
it's really essential to understand just the basic principles of Ayurveda if we're going to have a purposeful yoga practice, if we're going to understand anything about diet and individuality, if we're going to understand anything about how I should live my lifestyle that's going to be most harmonious for me. So I, when I first tapped into it earlier on, and Rose was actually one of the initial people that introduced it to me and, and Robbie, um, it, was just, it, it felt like the missing component because I've been practicing pretty intense tantric practices. And what I was feeling, and it was just some conscious thing that was coming through, it's like, you need to tidy up your life. If you're going to go deeper into this, these intense, energetic, you know, psycho-spiritual practices, you're going to have to set up your vessel a bit better. This was just coming through. And Ayurveda was, was, was basically that. So <clears throat> that's where it's so important that if we are going to do the spiritual practices where we are cultivating so much energy and we are working with these intense energies, the Ayurvedic component to it is uh, supporting or setting up your vessel for the journey into yoga and tantra. So it's the setup. It's sort of like taking your vehicle in for a service before you go on a long journey driving from the East Coast to the West Coast or something. Yes. Ayurveda is that setup. And it's, it's more than that, but it's, that's the sort of basic idea of it is it's the setup to, take, to prepare you so that you'll get the most out of your um, Hatha yoga practices, your meditation and everything. Because you know? having a healthy, well-operating system is just pertinent to having, a, 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 for one, a happy life, but it's just like having your instrument more finely tuned so that you can live life as a more finely tuned instrument. You know, yes. I sort of use all these analogies of vehicles and instruments and things like that. It's like, well, you can just go out on stage and try and rock out with an untuned guitar and it's not <laughs> going to go so well. Or you can have that thing perfectly tuned by your guitar tech, grab it and rock out on stage and you're going to be able to express what you want to express better, not through a distorted, untuned vehicle. Well, I guess it comes down to as well, like when we are more finely tuned, we can there be, therefore be attuned to our greatest needs and what we actually, we can, you know, really be informed, self-informed to what we need in any given moment with respect to our, our yoga exactly practice, right. you know. So it's, it's tapping exactly into that deeper, right. um, I don't even want to say intuition, just that deeper sense of intellect, like what is really right for us in any given moment rather than. Yeah, a sense yeah. of ignorance or just habit, you know, the habits that we get into with our practices that are the, not necessarily serving us, just driving yeah. into us into the same, you know, habitual patterns. And that's what exactly. I found to be so potent about that Ayurvedic understanding. And it's and it's it's so well needed and I think undervalued even in entry-level teacher trainings in general. And I'm saying that in a very generalized way because I know that's yeah. obviously not the case with what you do and, and what, you know, Yoga Rupa does and there's obviously some other schools that are doing that so beautifully, but it's it's obviously really important. Do you find there's any um, – and it's, you know, feel free to take this on a, on a tangent here into a whole, whole different conversation, but what are, what are some – main misconceptions you come across perhaps maybe if that's about ayurveda or tantra and the integration with hatha yoga like what do you find is one of the one or two of the most common things that you see come up oh my goodness um an overwhelmed an overwhelming number of them pop into my mind actually the misconceptions um let me see let me see well, one of them, you know, these are pretty, pretty sort of basic ones, but one of the misconceptions about Ayurveda is it's basically just about diet and, um, and herbal medicine and mm. treatments. You know, a lot of people think it's just about diet. You're doing Ayurveda, so it's, you're going to learn about your diet, which is part of it, of course, but there's, it's one sort of one piece of the puzzle. Um, so a lot of people think Ayurveda is just treat oil treatments, spa treatments and, and food. 
So that's a misconception, of course. Um, oh boy, where do you go? You know, there's, there's the obvious ones with Tantra yoga. I'm still baffled at yeah. how that is still just such the people are so confused that Tantra is just sort of, you know, in, in enhancing your sexual sort of life. It can, absolutely, but it's certainly there's such a minor little piece and component. They're only in certain schools anyway that really focus on that. It's one methodology to use, but it's, you know, it's, it's certainly not one of the more common ones. Yeah, I think, I think it's more the Western world is taking advantage of it and trying to market it and make money from it and sexualize it and, you know. Yeah, yeah, they'll exploit anything and that's cool. It's understandable, but it's just like, okay, come on, we've, we've done that long enough. Let's, because when we're in this world and I've been teaching and studying this stuff for so long, it, it is a little bit like, oh, really? Do I still have to explain that, that <laughs> I teach Tantra and it's not, we're not doing sex workshops? I guess I still do. So um, not so much. I mean, most of my students are pretty informed and, and they're not mm. coming to me asking, is, is this a sex workshop? It's like they know what it is and it's well in the description. So, so that one's still out there, especially when I'm into, you know, intermingling with the, the general public or the non-yogic. Well, not even just the non-yogic, the, the non-informed yogic public, yes, which is the majority exactly. of it. The majority of it still is in that phase. Um, another good one is Hatha yoga is a style of yoga. I made an actual post on this the other day because I just, I'd, I'd heard it one too many times, even just last week. And, and uh, I'm like, oh, I need to make a post on this one. And, you know, no matter how much I thrash it out there, it's still like even some leading teachers are still going, oh, I used to do vinyasa yoga. Now I'm doing Hatha yoga. Mm. So, well, let's just have a look at Hatha yoga is actually not a, it's not a style. It's, it's, um, it's a pretty in-depth system of practices utilizing the body and the breath and, you know, these integrated um, practices to work towards enlightenment. That, mm. That's what it is, whether it's, you know, it's not a style of fast, slow, hot, cold or, or linking or not linking or static poses or anything like that. That's, an, that's under the umbrella of Hatha Yoga. So that's a pretty big one. And I feel like that one is, you know, partly due to the, the yoga studio sort of realm where they they have to make up menus and we have to write that isn't what a class is and so I know I've had a couple of studios I know the dilemma in that but it just started off where the terminology was misused. I'd like to turn it around rather than you know it's like I don't want to conform to the the, the misinformation. Sure, I'd rather yeah. speak up about it and even though it's a little painful to do it sometimes and you feel like you're banging your head against the wall. I'm just going to keep doing it, you know, <laughs> in a kind way. It's not like you're wrong. It's like, no, well, actually, let's use the terminology correctly so we can all yeah. be a little bit more in, in alignment with one another and what each person's offering out there, you know. Of course, of course. It's interesting. I think that that's a really, really great misconception that you've raised because it has been on my mind, particularly in the last 12 months, but which doesn't sound like a very long time. But, you know, uh, I think it's because what I'm seeing, not even in the community of yoga students, but in the community of teachers, they don't actually understand what Hatha Yoga is. Like, and that's why there's so much misunderstanding totally. for students and the, the student community, because literally, I think most commonly, teachers think Hatha Yoga is kind of like slow and static poses. It's kind of not vinyasa. It's like something, I don't know, I, I fluffy. I'm not really, I don't really know, because quite often I think, well, what do you even mean by that? So I, I think that's a really, yeah. really important dialogue to be having. Because, it yes, it's it's usually a label that's slapped on a class where we don't really know what we want to call it or it's just not vinyasa or power or ayengar or ashtanga, so let's just call it hatha right. or whatever. Yeah. But what does that even mean, you know? And it's anchored in so much richness of text, like traditional 
text and that's you know where the juice comes um if we figure it out you know but that's great that's really interesting um okay so going back to books here uh are you reading anything at the moment what are you reading now I've kind of got about three different books on the go. I'm not reading them. I'm more because I've got a, a couple of new trainings that I'm designing and, and doing the manuals for. Um, so I'm getting into them. I, I quite regularly have the the, um, the Bhagavad Gita as a little sort of an open up. Ah, oh, fantastic. It's, kind, it's one of the best, you know, what are the new sort of, Goddess fairy books where you open a page and nothing. This is kind of my version of that, where you open up the Bhagavad Gita, you read a page or two or three pages, and it's like, oh my God, how does that relate to my life? So, yeah, certainly every single time. So that's always in the uh, beside the bed. Um, I'm not reading a book start to finish right now, but a couple that I have out is um, that one. I've been, you know, honestly, I've been back into the sutras so much in this last uh, this last year or two, this last couple of years. I've gone deep back into the Yoga Sutras. Nice. Or chapters on freedom. Um, the the Pandajit's um, first chapter book as well, The Secret of the Sutras. Incredible. But because I've been teaching that and I'm on it, you know, I go back into the books when I'm teaching you know, different trainings and, um, man, that is such – it's one of the most profound texts that I – know of and and that's including all the tantric texts that are so involved and so energetic and so everything i just think i I feel that the yoga sutras is really the base teachings for all of it it's unbelievable what's in there you know you can just dig and dig and dig for years and i'm understanding things that i was reading 20 years ago on on three or four layers deeper to what i was reading them then without a doubt so that's a big one that's yeah that's one i've been getting into quite a lot again lately so speaking of Panditji, let's um, let's talk a little bit about lineage and particularly mm. Srivijaya and your experience with Yoga Rupa. I would love to know a little bit about that. Um, I'm, you know, perhaps it's just me assuming. Well, it is me assuming that he's probably been one of the most influential teachers in your life. Um, yeah. And yeah, would you mind just speaking to that relationship with him and your experience in that mentorship and yeah, you're learning and whatever, as you like. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I was in Colorado and I was living in a little cabin and 10 acres uh, you know, with my wife at the time. And um, we had a satellite dish and this is how I tell the story. We have a satellite dish because it was off-grid, a little off-grid cabin, 10 miles outside of the smallest town that's as far away from anywhere as you know. So we were 10 miles out of there, way back country. And, you know, uh, it was about, it was probably two years after I'd finished the Byron training, Byron Bay training. And, and um, so I was in the States. I'm like, all right, that was incredible. But I, but I need, I need a teacher now that's like next level teacher. Mm. So I was in the, you know, up in the attic and, and I plugged the computer into the satellite dish and uh, tantric teacher USA. So you can imagine, you can only imagine what was coming up on my screen, Tantric Teacher USA. So, you know, all sorts of prostate massages and it was all there. But some, somehow, somehow I came across Rod's site. And I've heard of him, but I wasn't totally aware of the yoga celebrity scene in the States at that point. I wasn't really that interested in it. And um, I just hadn't really tangled myself in it yet. But um, I'd seen his name and yoga journal conferences and so forth and I looked on his site and it was, an old, it was the older site back then and just the colours and this and the, and the writing and I saw him and I was just like, this is sort of feeling like the right thing for me. 
and um, and I noticed he was doing a training on the sutras. Funny enough, and this is in two thousand six, I believe, or two thousand seven. And um, and he had just moved to Colorado. Also, I'd moved the, a couple of years before in two thousand four. I'd moved there, and I think he moved in two thousand five. And he was just living over the mountain from me, which. Just over the mountain can be in winter four hours to get there, but just over the mountain in summer was about an hour and a half away. So this training was in summer and um, it was the sutras. So I booked into the training. I drove over the mountain. I was sleeping in my truck outside this little little church hall not too far from his house, which is just outside of Carbondale near Aspen. Just beautiful setting. Colorado is unbelievable. You know, I lived there for many years. And um, so I, I rock up first day and, and I meet Rod and... Um, you know, we connected right away just as being sort of men, men, but into these deep teachings because there's not many of us, you know. So um, so we had initial connection. Then I told him of my teachers, of Robbie, and, you know, he was pretty impressed with, with the, the, the list of teachers and what I was practicing and the mantras I was using. So, And I was totally taken by his teachings and the way he delivered these teachings to Westerners and um and just the way he managed this group it wasn't a big group then it was 30 people you know in this little hall um but just the way he managed the group and taught and you know he had to pull a couple of situations up there was a sort of a couple of little weird situations that he pulled up pretty sternly and i was just i was just impressed in a lot of ways because you know as a as a householder as we call it in the tantric tradition is you know someone's married and you're in life and you have children i need we need a household teacher and this is what those scriptures say the teachings say if you're a householder, you need a householder teacher. You know, sure, I can learn from the, the bearded dude in the cave that's ready, the sadhu, I can learn from them. But to have it as my primary teacher, if I'm a householder, I need a householder. So he had, you know, one set of twins at that point, uh, was married, you know, had had a history, a little bit of history in Hollywood and LA and a little bit of acting history. And so he'd been in life very much, but now he was in this very in-depth teaching and, and training and practicing. And um, all the ingredients fit. And then when I finished the training and, you know, we talked a lot, we hung out quite a lot that week. And um, it, was, it was evident that that was the teacher and that was the tradition right away. You know, when I connected that to this lineage that he'd just connected with probably, I think, 1999 uh, is when he connected with uh, Pandajit. So he was pretty steeped in the lineage and tradition. So it had everything I wanted. It was like, here's a man, so that's, a, that's great. I've got a man teacher, which is good for a man to have a man teacher that's a householder and, you know, he's a bit older, so he's got some experience and, um, and has embodied and embraced and, and can teach these teachings in a way that is palatable for, you know, Westerners that need to hear them and need to, um, um, you know, need to really well, want to embody them, want to start bringing them into life. So, um, so we just started there and, and we connected after that because he was wanting to come to Australia around then. So we connected outside of it. He's assistant and, and um, had contacted me and we were, you know, I was lining up to go to Australia with him back then. And then the next training I went to was about a year later and, um, you know, his wife was pregnant with a, a second set of twins. So he's like, well, I, I think, dude, I think our Australia trip's off for a while. So anyway, um, so, so we didn't get to do the Oz trip back then. But um, I just kept studying. I kept studying and doing the practices and reading the books. And, you know, we stay connected a little bit online. I, had a, I went to one training a year, I think, for the first five or six years. I just did one five-day training a year with Rod. But felt really connected. Like I felt like we communicated a lot. Through through dream time, actually, I've communicated a lot with him in that, and a lot through my practice, I could communicate. I didn't need to call up and say, "Hey, dude, 
what do you think I should do here? It was all within the practice and the tradition. And that's what I felt early on in this, um, in this lineage was, wow, the potency of this tradition. And to have a, connect, a, a teacher who's connected me to this tradition is just priceless in this day and age. So I just stuck with it. And, you know, we got closer and closer. And, and then, um, you know, he asked me to assist him a number of times and I would assist him. And he was going to send me to Asia to, to represent Power Yoga, one of the conferences there. And we just started sort of connecting a lot more and I became pretty close with him and the family. And um, I was just fortunate, I think, in a sense of having both being a teacher-student relationship and having it, having friends without crossing over, because it can be tricky being friends with a teacher. It can mm -hmm. be very, very tricky. I don't advise it that often, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but we've managed to pull it off, and we just got closer and closer. And um, you know, we travelled a lot together the last few years in Bali, and um, it's it's been an incredible journey, you know. Um, so yeah, I became a you know we had we, we initially had the privates that linked me to the. Para yoga and then you have another one and link to Sri Vidya and depending on you know on on the studentship uh, but it's just stayed strong you know I haven't even th thought of the possibility of looking for another teacher or tradition it's like yeah. my teacher's constantly growing he's staying ahead of me he didn't just plateau and learn a certain amount and then just keep turning over the amount under him he's progressing and practicing and so um, you know and the potency of the tradition is it's hard to explain until you experience it. But once you're sort of embraced by any, a tradition, you, you, you're embraced by it. It's pretty wild. Yeah. It's powerful. So, so speaking of tradition, mm. um, and, you know, you can speak to this either directly through your own experience or perhaps maybe because you are teaching a lot of teachers, you know, you're doing a lot of trainings, you know, how, and particularly in a Western context, let's say, like how do we honour tradition? How do we honour tradition? How do we honour tradition? Mm. I can speak to how I honour tradition. Yeah. Um, you know, one way to honour tradition is to, is to really be self-aware and accountable for my actions. Um, to always, you know, be alert and be aware to that I'm that there's um, that there's teacher and teachings and they are different. You know, we are a channel for the teachings, but we're still human and we still have all these things. So, one thing, one way to honor um, the tradition, I believe, is to to really study it and understand it, and only speak to it on the level that we understand it, so we're not sort of misrepresenting tradition. Yeah. You know, you know, I had this conversation with Rod just yesterday. Actually, we we're on the we had a call yesterday or the day before, and. You know, I brought up the fact that, you know, a lot of people are throwing, throwing around the word Sri Vidya these days and, uh, and it's in some pretty, pretty off the side context. I'm like, wow, you know, it's just, um, it's not like I feel like I have to defend a tradition. It doesn't need defending. But, but on the other side, there is sort of this level of um, responsibility around it. So we're not just watering it down like so many other things, you know. So I just feel like giving it its dues offering its dues and speaking to it as it is and not watering it down. I think that's a great way to honor it and to simply do the practices and embody them. I think the best way in order to honor a tradition is to actually do the practices, keep the tradition alive, keep the mantras alive, keep the teachings alive. And I just don't think there's any better way than to honor a tradition by keeping the teachings alive. That's what the, that's their Dharma. That's teachings. Dharma is to stay alive and serve humanity. 
Yeah. So in my eyes, keeping the teachings alive, as authentic as I can do them, you know, and I like to translate them so we can Westerners and Australian people and, you know, can understand it and embody it. But, um, but just getting to utilize the, the benefit of them, you know, I think I feel like that's probably one of the, the best ways is to first embody it and live it and then another way to keep them alive by I guess it's a great it's a great gift and a responsibility to have access to the teachings. It's like you're part of that thread, that continual thread of the evolution and the continuance of that, you know, that tradition yeah. and that practice, that timelessness, which is actually so amazing and a great a great gift. And so yeah, yeah, that embodiment is so true, which is you know sadly a bit of a cliche word these days, embodiment. But um, but I, mm. I totally understand <laughs> what what you're saying and. Yeah, it's very beautiful. It's very beautiful. And it kind of ties in with what you were saying earlier about Ayurveda. It's like cleaning cleaning ourselves up because if we mm. are holding a tradition, you know, we don't want to be just your average pedestrian folk. We really want to be great people, you know, working yeah. on ourselves. You know, it's never ending. So I would love to... Um, ask you a few random questions if that's all right bring them on short and sweet yeah. okay yeah, I go. <laughs> <laughs> all right they're just fun so what is your favorite sound i did read this earlier i wasn't prepared <laughs> for it though i didn't get an answer my favorite sound man i've been so huge into music my whole life you know and i play guitar and um but what is my favorite sound boy my this is actually pretty easy now and it's the sound of my daughter just laughing mm -hmm. like just her heart expressing laughter that would be by far my favorite sound these days beyond anything just yeah. hearing her happy joyful and laughing it's um i just feel like everything's okay in in the world if she's laughing you know so mm -hmm. I, I, do, I do my best to make her laugh as often as possible I love that. So that yes. would be, yeah, that would be, that would be it for sure. Beautiful. Yeah, your own child's mm. uncontrollable hysterical laughter can lift you out of any oh level of darkness. It's just the best. It's, it's the best. Yeah. Uh, okay. What's your favorite place? Doesn't have to be geographical. You can interpret that how you like. What's your favorite place? <laughs> mm. Yeah, my favorite place is that this has become so, I mean, it's always been apparent. It's actually the meaning of my name. Um, um, so I'll give you a few answers here if that's okay. But one, one uh, that's just a general answer is somewhere where there's broad horizons, somewhere where I can see out to the ocean, the vastness. I mean, nice. what that does to my mind is pretty incredible. Um, and then favorite place of boy, Sri Lanka really pops up into my mind here. This I have some really magical connection with Sri Lanka. But uh, I'm going to also say right here, right here at home in Ocean Shores, the Byron Shire. I mean, this is... I've had more gratitude just in general, but specifically to be in this place this year than I ever would have imagined. So this is one of my key places on the planet right here, right here in the Byron Shire. Yeah. We're very lucky in Australia. We have some magical places. Mm. That's for sure. Okay. So what is your daily non-negotiable? <laughs> I did look at this one too. You know, I could go with the meditation, the mantra and that, but I'm going to go with a cup of tea and a little bit of time at the beach. I love it. Not negotiable. Tea, it, tea's off the bat. That's my wife and I up, kettles on. That's our entry point into the day is a cup of tea. You know, there's the tongue scraping and all that, but eh, yeah, cup yeah. of tea. Awesome. Cup of tea is it, you know, and I really need a little time at the beach every day. Yeah. Can yeah. totally relate. All right. So yeah. with that in mind, with your cup of tea, 
alongside. What's your favorite go-to meal or food? Can be food or meal. Yeah, yeah. This one used to be easy, but it's um, it's kind of changed over the years. The go-to food. Why should, why is this so difficult? You know, it was Thai for a while. Oh, boy. You know, my wife's cooking is pretty, pretty, pretty incredible. Um, <clears throat> if you're stuck on a desert island, you had to eat the same thing yeah, every day. Yeah, I'm going to pass on that one. Yeah, oh, no. No, I'll, I'll, I'll give you something. Um, <laughs> I'm blanking out. I've got Indian foods right there, but that's not, that's not my sort of What makes you feel good? Making your chocolate. Oh, there you go. Let's just go with the chocolate. I love dark chocolate. Really good quality dark chocolate. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I'm sure there's some yeah. awesome chocolate up in Byron. Ayurvedic is my Ayurvedic answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's sweet, so that's important. Sweetness Amazing, of life. Yeah. Uh, all right. What are you curious about right now? What am I curious about? <laughs> wow. I don't want to start getting political right at the end here, but I'm a bit curious Ooh. as to what's happening on this planet right now. <laughs> I'm a little curious as mm. to... You know, I don't get wrapped up in conspiracies too much, but really everything I'm hearing is a, quite a possibility. So I, I'm pretty curious what's happening on what's, what strings are being pulled. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in trust of the universal thing here, but at the, at the same time, there's some pretty dramatic things happening on the planet. And I'm pretty curious as to what strings are being pulled by who at this stage. Yeah, I think it's important to stay open. Yeah, no. I don't know how to find out. So it's, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and stress about it. I'm really just holding ground as to, you know, staying happy and healthy and sticking to these teachings because I, what else I can do right now? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think YouTube is a sacred scripture, so I don't believe that that's a way to find the truth out or nor is yes. any other thing I'm reading on the internet, so I just don't bother mm, with it. Yeah. The World Wide Web is bittersweet world, you know. Mm, it comes with so much gift and then can be quite destructive at the same time, so it's tricky. But yeah. yes. That makes a lot of sense. I think probably everybody in the world right now is feeling very, very similar too, for sure. Yeah. Yep. So let's uh, let's talk about what you have coming up in the pipeline because a lot of the world's gone online and you've got some trainings coming up and whatnot. So would you like to share with us what you're doing? What's, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. At the moment, um, my next training is coming up in two weeks. It's it's a Power Yoga Master training. So now I'm teaching four of the Power Yoga Master trainings and um, Rod's, you know, authorized me to teach them online, which is great. And so Yoga Alliance. So the next one coming up is the um, Vinyasa Krama. It's the energetics of sequencing. So it's the Ayurvedic Prince. It's the most Ayurvedic training in the Power Yoga series. So it's really integrating the, as I was saying earlier, the principles of Ayurveda into how you sequence and make a Hatha yoga practice purposeful. Not just generally purposeful, but purposeful for whatever, you know, um, whatever effect you're looking for. Wake up, slow down, you access awareness. You need to ground to the ground. So that training's all about that. That's coming up in two weeks. Um, I've got my calendar right here, which is great. And then a couple of weeks after that, I have my level one Ayurvedic yoga specialist training. It's kind of my you call it my um, uh, signature training, I guess, if you like, my Ayurvedic Yoga Specialist, my signature training. So that's coming up a couple of weeks after it, sort of later 23rd of September. Following that, I'm kind of going in two-week increments at the moment till the end of the year. Following that is another Power Yoga Master training, uh, Prana Shakti. 
that's really getting into the energetics of energetics and the energetics of Tantra yoga. That's, nice. a, that's an incredible training. Um, and then following that, Yoga Nidra, my Yoga Nidra training, Yoga Nidra and the Restorative, which is coming up at the end of October. Um, and then Tantra Shakti in December. You know, so there's a few more. There's, I've got another five, one, I've got another six five-day trainings between now and December just on the board now. And that's what I'm wow. focusing on at this stage um, uh, as soon as I'm not traveling, which is amazing this year because last year was pretty out of control with 50 or so flights or something. It was a lot, you know, wow. three or four trips to Bali. It was, a, it was heavy duty. Um, so, yeah, what a blessing to, to be able to kick back at home and do this all online. So yeah, I have those. I have those coming up between now and the end of the year. So they're all different, different trainings that are all part of my 300-hour advanced um, training setup, and they all um, they all accredit towards that. And the power yoga ones give you um, certification for both my training, my 300-hour advanced training, and power yoga training. So you get a double. You get a twofer there. And can can anybody do these courses or do you need to have a certain qualification or experience already? Are they entry level as well as obviously for teachers? But, you know, if anyone just wanted it just for the richness of the information, the knowledge as a student. Absolutely. You know, there's no prerequisites as for you. You don't need to be a 200 hour teacher. If you're doing a certification process, yes, you need to have a 200 hour certification to then extend on. And that's the same for any 300 hour training. But I open these trainings up for anyone. If you want to just read the content of the training and you have an interest in it, jump on in, you know, and some of them require a little more background knowledge, but I generally cross over in each training. I don't generally speak about the values without giving a little bit of it, at least, you know, at least a short description. So yeah. generally they're all designed that you can pop in and do them all. There is sort of an ideal order, you know, Ayurveda Yoga Specialist 1, Vinyasa Krama, Tantra Sutras, you can do it in an order. Uh, but generally I open them to anyone, any seeker, any yogi, anyone that wants to learn these teachings can jump into any of them. I welcome, welcome them for sure. That's fantastic. Great. And so whenever the world gets back to normal, if that's such a thing, uh, when we can start to travel and do all this kind of stuff in person, where are you normally generally doing in-person trainings or is that a really big question? Yeah, well, um, hmm, last year, just for example, I just did all the, all the major cities. I was teaching Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, um, so generally the, the capital cities of Australia, you know, I've only been back in Oz for 18 months, but I did quite a few rounds of cities last year, uh, Bali a, a couple of times a year, two, three times a year. Um, I did a little bit here in the Byron Shire as well. So all around, you know, when I am, when it, when it does open up again, I'm open to come if people want to, want to sort of, um, host any of these trainings. Yeah, fantastic. I'm That's great. To it. Yeah, so all around Australia. So it'll, it'll be up. We'll post about it. I'm looking forward to doing a bit of it again, but I think I'd like to cut in half what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. conserve your energy. A lot of time away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, a, there's such a great gift because, you know, even with all this lockdown and COVID stuff, I've done so much study and training that I would have never have had access to, particularly because I'm a parent. I can't just pack up and go somewhere like I used to <laughs> in my 20s. You know, so it's such a gift to be able to access this kind of stuff online. Um, but of course, there's, you know, learning in person, there's nothing better than being with the teacher and being with that group as well. So they're both awesome yeah. and both potential prospects but no that's fantastic thank you and so um in light of all this information where can a listener find you website is bradhay.com b-r-a-d-h-a-y so that's pretty straightforward 
And um, I am actually on Instagram. I'm starting to get better at posting on there too, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> Brad Hay 32 on Instagram. And um, I think you can connect to my Facebook on there. I'm just Brad Hay. Brad Hay Yoga and Ayurveda, but just Brad Hay is probably my more active um, Facebook page as well. So, yeah, all the events are on bradhay.com. I post them pretty regularly on Instagram as well. That is a good way. I'm starting to use that platform a lot more to just sort of share different things and share events and everything like that. So they're, they're probably the best two ways, yeah. And mm-hmm. you can feel free to email us through the, the website or you can sign up for the newsletter and that way you'll keep posted on events and so forth. And, um, you know, I answer a lot. I don't want to overwhelm myself, but I do answer still as many as I can um, private emails, you know. Yes. Well, the website's so, beautiful. Yeah. The website's really beautiful. Thank you. So yeah, we needed an upgrade and we gave it one. So it's getting oh, there. Awesome. It's getting there again. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, no, it's easy. So yeah, I've had a little peruse on there and there's it's very easy to find all the trainings and stuff, which is awesome. very exciting. So um, but hey, thank you so much for your time today. I've had such fun chatting with you. It's been really, really great. <laughs> I'm really appreciative for you being here. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate it. I'm I'm stoked to be on here. If this episode was of value to you and your life, please subscribe. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue, please do them a favor and send it their way. If you feel called, hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amyelandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.